Hello, everybody, and welcome to the So Weird Podcast. I'm Kat. I'm Emily. I'm Jimmy. And I'm Melissa. And tonight we are talking about the season three, third episode, Detention. Yay! So fun! For me personally, this is my favorite episode of season three. And I think part of it has to do with the fact that it's about detention, which is such a classic childhood fear. And looking back on it now as an adult, I feel like it makes me nostalgic for a time when detention was the worst possible thing that could happen. So what are your guys' thoughts on this monster of the week? (laughs) Uh, I think it's pretty lame, to be honest. Uh, But me, I've never had detention except for, okay, that's a lie. I had it twice, Uh, but it was never that bad. I like detention because it gave me time to like write because we weren't allowed to talk or anything. So I would always be like writing poems or songs or something during detention. I went a few times. <laughs> yeah, I never had detention. So I don't know if I can relate to this one, but I still like it. I only had detention a couple times and it was both times were because I was late to school and it was my mom's fault. Oh. Yeah. When I had to one time, I was in sixth grade because I didn't finish my spelling homework. And then the, in seventh grade, on the first day, because I was like a class, and that was because I got totally lost. Uh, I got off the bus at the wrong school, and I couldn't find my class because I was in the wrong school. Oh, no. <laughs> but, uh, it's like right next to each other. So, uh, yeah, I eventually found my way to class but it was like 30 minutes late oh i was always in detention for attendance issues as well like being late in this episode it's interesting that jack and annie aren't really getting detention in the modern day this show kind of does a little twist on it where we have a time capsule introduction with annie talking about time capsules and i wonder if anyone has ever put time itself in a time capsule And the premise of this episode is Jack and Annie get accidentally transported to this detention from 1974. And I thought it was interesting. They called it a millennium time capsule, which I had to look it up, but a millennium is a thousand years. So I wonder why they had the random 26 years. In 26 years, we will (laughs) reopen it. Like, okay, that's a random number. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. You'd think it'd be 25 years. Why didn't they pick 25 years? Probably because of all the hype about the new millennium. I feel like all the TV shows and even Nickelodeon as a whole network did this time capsule thing Mm -hmm. where it was such a big deal turning to the year 2000. Mm -hmm. I looked up the number 26 and it is the only number that is um, an integer that is one greater than a square and one less than a cube. So they say that it's the only number to get sandwiched between a square and a cube. Whoa. I don't completely understand that, but cool. (laughs) (laughs) Mathematics. Interesting if you're into math. Yeah. Yeah, but I guess I was wondering why didn't they just have the time capsule be created in 1975 so it would be a... nice even 25 years or not even but you know the typical 25 years i don't know interesting choice i noticed a mess up right at the beginning of the episode uh the first mess up that i noticed this episode was 
when Annie's doing her intro, you see a boy put in the tie-dye shirt, but then when the episode starts, it's a girl who gets the tie-dye shirt, Priscilla Carpenter. I was like, oh, mess up. Huh. Hmm. Either that or maybe she's trans. Yeah. <gasps> oh my yeah. gosh, trans representation. Yeah. In the I year 2000. <laughs> yeah, I feel like Jimmy's right, though, and they just messed it up, but it would right. be nice to think that there was representation in this so weird universe. Yeah. yeah. Another thing that I think might qualify as a little bit of a mess up is I feel like the time travel concept of the time capsule is kind of a redo on the season one episode singularity where we had the time warp. Oh, that's true. That must be why they didn't have a lot to say about, like, mechanics of it all in the intro. I feel like the intros for season three so far haven't really provided a lot of, like, historical information or mm-hmm. anything like that. Yeah, they just kind of pose an interesting question at the end. That's why the title of the episode is about detention rather than having anything to do with the phenomenon of time travel. Yeah. Right. And this episode's written by John Mandel, who actually wrote six episodes of So Weird. Like, uh, he wrote Eddie's Desk, which is the next episode, and then Pen Pal, Gone Fishing, Dead Ringer, and The River. Some of the better episodes of the season, actually. Agreed. Mm-hmm. And at the beginning, it's the principal who's giving out the uh, the items from the time capsule, and he only makes an appearance in one more episode, and that's the Eddie's desk episode when he presents, you know, him with the certificate. I never noticed that. Me neither, but it's pretty cool. Yeah. So one thing we find out pretty early on in this episode is that uh, Molly actually attended Hope Springs High School, which I don't know if that's really in line with the original plan for the show. What do you all think? I think it is, because remember, Jack said that Fee was really little when they moved to Hope Springs. We don't know, like, where Molly grew up, but I assume she and Rebecca didn't grow up in Hope Springs, because Hope Springs in season two and Siren was described as, like, a getaway town for the rock stars. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I always thought, is that they moved there because that's where all the artists live. That's where the the recording studio is. And canonically, they actually lived in L.A., I believe, when he was a baby, when he was born. Yeah. Plus, Molly's parents, as we know, live in Pennsylvania. I don't think it's actually said in the show, but we know from one of the scripts that they from the uh, script of Banshee that they live in Pennsylvania. So, yeah, I don't know if I totally buy that Molly went to Hope Springs High School. There's a lot of stuff in the episode about Molly that bothered me. Sorry, Melissa. Yeah, same here, to be honest. Molly bothers me in almost every episode. This episode is really bad. Yeah, Mm -hmm. the line that really jumps out at me early in the episode was when Annie asked if she was voted for most anything, and she answers most likely to have difficult children while playing with Annie's hair. And that's so cringeworthy yeah. because that's not even your child. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. And, and Molly looks at her like, brat? Yeah, and clearly Jack agrees with me because he immediately starts talking about, oh, I wonder how Fee's doing. You know, your real child. Yeah. Right. And I also thought... Molly says, I never put anything in the time capsule. So I'm like, well, why the heck are you there then? Because 
it's the opening of the time capsule. It's the only reason why you're all there. Maybe it's like a reunion, 2060 re reunion that never happens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it did say something about a reunion. But speaking about why are you there moments, what about Carrie? <laughs> is anybody else wondering why is Carrie at Molly's high school reunion? But the it's only Molly's logical date. explanation is that he's her date. Oh. <laughs> I know how gross Molly and Carrie would be in real life, but this season is really why I crack ship them so hard. <laughs> like, you can't ignore it. All the Molly Carrie moments are in this season. And his uh, first line is, where's your mom, to Jack? That's his first line, where's your mom? I'm like, why are you just looking for Molly? And he refers to Annie as kiddo. <laughs> yeah. Ugh, that's a little weird. So Jack is, like, jealous that Molly is, like, showing off her new daughter, Annie. She's like, this is my kind of adopted daughter and new friend. And Jack is, like, hecka jealous. Yeah, and then... By the end of the episode, she actually does refer to Annie as one of her children. She's when she's talking to Mr. Cox, she says, You you did this to my kids. So yeah. I know. It's like Molly forgot that she really had a daughter. <laughs> I don't think it so. It bothers me so much. Hmm. Also, when uh, we first get introduced to Steve Anderson, that guy Molly went to high school who her science teacher shipped her with, Annie hmm. just clears her throat. To get Molly to introduce her to him. And it's like, what so are you doing? That's so rude, annoying, <laughs> and childish. She has such an everything's all about me. Let me talk to this guy attitude. <clears throat> yeah. This is yeah. reason I don't like any. <laughs> She's pushy in this episode. I don't even know what you all are talking about, to be honest. <laughs> but... <laughs> well, like when Steve Anderson first walks up, he's like imitating Mr. Cox and he's like, go to detention right away and then Molly turns around and recognizes him but as soon as she as soon as Molly starts talking to him Annie is like <clears throat> like behind her and she turns around like oh this is my kind of adopted daughter and my son Jack oh <laughs> yeah i didn't even she think forgot about that. Jack though yeah, yeah i forgot about Jack temporarily in that scene and that's just something i didn't really like that much mm -hmm. it's out of character yeah. He didn't like it either. That's why he got jealous and walked away. <laughs> yeah, I feel like Jack kind of speaks for the fandom a little bit in this episode with his displeasure of Annie replacing Fee and constantly missing her. Yes, I totally agree. And it's appropriate that this episode's early on in the season for that reason. It really yeah. feels like a nod to the fans. Like Disney is saying, we know this, you know, is upsetting but it does seem like a nod to the fans, like how much he's jealous of her this episode. Yeah, and now we have that scene with Carrie and Annie where Carrie goes over all like, hey, what's going on with you and Jack? And he tells her, you and Jack are a lot alike. People sometimes can't see what's right in front of them. And it's like, <laughs> first of all, Carrie, why are you involving yourself in this conversation like you're their stepdad? And second and then, of all, yeah. he sounds like he's <laughs> Yeah, he's the captain of the Jenny ship. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Who can blame them? I and mean, who can blame him? Because they are pretty shippable in this episode, to be honest. I don't um, know. Not towards the end, but... Yeah, definitely in the end. But it was weird how he did say people sometimes can't see what's right in front of them. I felt like that was kind of like a nod to Molly. Like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Not noticing him. Right. 
Gotcha. And I always loved Annie's outfits this season. Like, I love that pink sweater she was wearing. It just, like, stuck in my mind when I remember this season. I always see her in that pink sweater or that pink hoodie. Huh. I really love Annie's hair. I was so jealous of it as a kid. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it is cute. So should we get into the, like, meat of the episode? Yes, the detention scenes. And the weird thing that happens, of course, is that Molly and Steve, they got they find the watches in the time capsule, which they didn't put in. So they throw them in the trash, which is kind of rude, because uh, what if it was someone else's accidentally tagged as theirs? Anyway, so then Annie fishes them out because she decides, oh, I want Jack to like me. So she gives him one, just a little contrived, I feel like. But anyway, (laughs) so then they both put on the watches and they get sucked into a detention room. And the first thing they notice is a woman reading a newspaper dated from 1974. And Jack's like, oh, what's she doing with this old newspaper? And he's like, that's not old. Look at it. It's brand new. And suddenly Annie's like, whoa, something weird's going on. And Jack is just trying to rationalize it all. Like, we just opened a time capsule. Of course, it's from there. Mm-hmm. And one of his most notable lines in this episode is, that's Sophie, Annie. Skip logical and go straight to impossible. Mm-hmm. That line sticks out so much. I feel like it must have been in a promo. Because I feel yeah. like I've heard it a million times before. Yeah. Definitely it has. Because I think that was one of the commercials, is him saying, skip logical and go straight for impossible. Yeah, I wish we could find that intro or that promo for it. That would be really cool to see again. I'll find it for you. I have like a bunch of commercials saved. I'm sure I have it somewhere. That would be so cool. And I noticed something about Mrs. Mitchell. She looked really familiar to me and she's Shirley Broderick, but she actually plays in John Cooksey's show, The Collector, and in Alex Johnson's episode of The Collector, The Ice Skater, Shirley Broderick plays Alex Johnson's grandmother, Josephine, in that episode. Wow. Yeah, and Alex's character, Isabel, actually calls her a bitch in that episode. (laughs) I need to watch that episode. Of The Ice Skater? Of Cold Squad? Is that what you're talking about? I mean, of of, uh, The Collector? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the true horror of this episode comes in in the detention scenes with all the old school punishments that Mrs. Mitchell gives them. First, they have to write lines on the board of I will not ask stupid questions, a zillion books magically appearing so that they can do their homework and write essays. She has them doing push-ups and cleaning gum off the bottom of their desks. It's so old school. Everything they were doing was with their hands. Like, how much carpal tunnel would they have had, like... First, they wrote on all those chalkboards. Then they had to write, like, all those papers. Then they had to do push-ups. And then they had to pull gum off of the bottom of all the tables. Like, their arms would have just been dead. And that's the whole point. This whole detention was contrived to get them to hold hands. Because first, you have Annie holding Jack's hand to help him write on the board. And then during the homework sequence, Jack has to hold Annie's hand to help her write. And for one thing, that's, like, totally impossible plausible like how would you grab somebody's hand and make them physically write something but on another level it is really cute and i definitely ship them yeah Yeah. and that was the second mess up that i noticed was where jack is like i can't write anymore on the chalkboard 
um, like when the camera spans to him not being able to write, it's a sentence. But then when Annie helps him, he actually starts writing like in a really random place. And it's like not even a sentence right there. So now he's mad at Annie because she keeps talking. Every, like Annie asks a question. We, and she's like, we don't even have any homework. And Jack's like, will you just shut up? Or can you ever like not talk? Reminds me of me, me and my sister, to be honest. Did you think it was funny that like Molly ends up walking with Steve? Like he ends up helping her try to find Jack and Annie because she's suddenly looking for them. But did you realize that Molly was like, I just have a feeling that Mr. Cox is involved in, in I was like, what? I feel like that's just bad writing. Yeah. Like yeah. it wasn't a hint at Molly's witch ancestry because that's a no-go in this season. It was just oh, well, Molly has to play detective in this episode. She's got to do something, so let's have her be suspicious. Right. Yeah. She, like, threatened uh, Mr. Cox's life in this episode. <laughs> she, like, grabs his bow tie, and she's like, you're never going to need to watch again if you don't tell me what's going on. I was like, oh. Well, to be fair, I do think Mr. Cox is a huge creep for shipping people in real life. It was weird, <laughs> and they were kids. Yeah. Yeah, he's got a little bit of a problem, and he takes it a little bit too seriously. And I thought it was interesting, his hair is, like, in the shape of horns. Did you guys yeah. notice that? And it's funny because I recognized him, too, and where I recognized him from is actually Daniel Radcliffe's movie, Horns. <laughs> he, plays, <laughs> he plays the priest who's like, maybe you should kill yourself. Did you guys ever see that movie? No. Oh, Oh, no. It's a good one. It's a really good movie with Daniel Radcliffe and Juno Temple. I do really like the scene where Mr. Cox enters the detention room to give Jack and Annie instructions on how to get out. Just because Jack's attempts at getting his attention is just adorable. <laughs> like he starts jumping up and down, waving his arms, making funny noises and nothing. <laughs> I had a making Patrick Levis when I was like eight. He's so much hotter now. Like, have you seen him now? Oh yes, God. I have. <laughs> and it makes me really happy because he's married. He has kids. His daughter, there's a video of her as a two-year-old playing the harmonica, and it's adorable. Aww. And he has a happy life now. And he's yeah. super Christian. Mm-hmm. He's a sweetheart. And his new album came out, like, what, a year or two ago? And it was really good. It's really Christian, but it's really good. Yeah. I'll have to check that out sometime. But did, I thought it was interesting. They didn't even try to touch Mr. Cox. Like, he's right in front of you, but they're, like, waving in front of him. Like, why don't you guys try to reach out or touch him? Or Because then they would have to explain, like, how this phenomenon works. And season three writers don't do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and we learn something about what the watches actually are. I thought that was interesting. Do you guys want to elaborate on that? No. You mean what the colors are for? Yeah, I didn't realize until this rewatch that they were mood watches. Yeah. So they change colors depending on your mood. And if they turned blue, then that meant that you were happy. Which is weird because blue is usually associated with depressed. But red obviously meant angry or... Yeah. I and guess Papa has a mood ring face. Yes. That's what I thought about, yeah. 
And did you think it was interesting that he like waited 26 years just to give them one last chance because Molly and Steve, like they never knew that they actually liked each other, but he knew it. So he tried to find any old excuse to put them in detention. And so he waited 26 years to give them one last chance to like each other. That really bothers me though, because you can tell in this episode, Molly's so disinterested in him. Like, they have zero chemistry together. And, like, he seems like he might be a little into her, and maybe the teacher saw that and was like, oh, yeah, go get him, Tiger. But, like, it wasn't reciprocated. Mm -hmm. It's creepy, and I feel like he'd probably end up in jail if it were today. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's next-level stuff right there. So when did he put the watches in the time capsule? Was it back in the 70s or was it recent yeah in the very first intro on august 9th 1970 oh i'm sorry 1974 that he like that night he goes and puts them in the time capsule before it gets buried i'm assuming okay whatever it's weird (laughs) the fact that he even remembers 20 however many years later and cares about it still (laughs) enough about the relationship is just strange yeah, and not the good part. So weird. What teacher like stays at a school for that long? I was like, wow, he worked there in the seventies. Like that's crazy, and he's still yeah. there. In small towns, it happens. Yeah, and he must have just gotten out of school because, like, when he was teaching them, because I, I mean, they may have made it seem like he was a lot older than Molly, but Jay Brazeau is only like six years older than Mackenzie Phillips. <laughs> That's a good catch. Yeah. He definitely doesn't look much older than her. Yeah. Did you guys notice One in a Million, like, it plays a lot in the background of this episode? Like, the instrumental? A lot in my mind throughout this one. Mm -hmm. But before we get to that, we need to talk more about the Jack and Annie stuff going on in detention. Because (laughs) I really love that once Jack and Annie kind of make peace... Jack goes into his protective mode and stands up to Miss Mitchell. I just love Jack playing hero. It's so cute. Yeah. yeah and that's probably my favorite part, to be honest. Yeah, except then he, when Annie can see the door and Jack tells her, you may not get another chance, any Annie, ever. I feel like that's really out of character because Jack would never admit that something weird is going on. I noticed that too, but Miss Mitchell had just said, like, you can go, Missy, but he'll be here for eternity. And then when he said forever or ever, he kind of glances at Miss Mitchell. Like, I think it was because of the line that she had just said right before that. I did notice that part. Yeah, but I don't think Jack would buy into it. Like, I don't think he thought it was a dream. The notion of being there forever. Didn't Jack think he was in a dream? Mm-hmm. Well, at the end of the episode, he becomes convinced that the whole thing was an elaborate illusion that Mr. Yeah. Cox set up as like a prank or something. And then he starts <laughs> acting really cocky. And that reminded me about how when I was a kid, I went through a phase where I really disliked Jack. And like, mm-hmm. I just thought he was too <laughs> much of a cocky asshole. <laughs> I kind of hate that, like, he goes against wanting to believe anything. Like, he does it almost to not believe. Like, first he's like, oh, it's a dream. And then, of course, Annie's like, so we both had the same dream? 
how do you explain that? I was like, oh, how many times have they said that line in this show? Like, what, four different times? But um, then once he realizes Mr. Cox gave them the watches, then he just changes his whole, like, interpretation of what happened. He's like, oh, so it did actually happen, but it was an illusion. Yeah. Like, geez, like, you just don't want to believe it no matter what. Mental gymnastics. But it was interesting that he's like, Mrs. Mitchell, she was great. But then we find out that Mrs. Mitchell could have been a ghost because Mr. Cox didn't actually, he didn't like put up an illusion. So that was just like something that happened because of the watches putting them in detention. But he said he like didn't set up like that Mrs. Mitchell should have been there and that she passed away several years ago. So that was weird to Mr. Cox. Maybe she was a ghost. I really like how Annie follows up on that with passed on. Like, with that tone of voice, like, she doesn't know what the phrase means. Oh. <laughs> no. Uh, I think she knew. I don't know. I have yeah. my doubts about Annie's intelligence. Uh-huh. I thought she was, like, basically saying, like, passed on like she died. Like, oh, my God, she's yeah, dead. Yeah, that like, would have made sense if she'd said that. But just repeating the phrase... Mm-hmm. Like, would Disney not let them use anything other than that specific euphemism? I think it was, like, the the producers or something. Like, I really think it's John Mandel that we could blame for how this season went, because he executive produced every episode this season. So I really think it's all his fault. Because <laughs> he wrote this episode. And did you guys like Jack's line when he's like, Annie, I'm going to tell you something about me. No one pulls the wool over my eyes. I loved that. <laughs> yeah. So now we get to the end. Or no, earlier, we like when Carrie came up to talk to Annie, that's when we see her whittling the flute. But I kept thinking, how did she make it hollow? Like, what did she use? Because we just saw her with sandpaper. I mean, she lived with Native Americans in South America, so maybe they taught her how to do that stuff. It's Native American stuff, so. Well, she said she didn't even know that she could play the flute until she started playing, which is a reference back to Lightning Rod, I think, when her mom is like, she could pick up nearly any instrument and play it without even practicing. That's like a gift she has. Yeah. The stick told her how to whittle it. I'm jealous. Like this stick. (laughs) <laughs> so what are your guys' thoughts on the song One in a Million Worlds? I love it in general, but it does not feel like a Molly Phillips song. It feels more like an Annie song. Uh, so I don't like it for being a Molly song, but I uh, love it in general. I never really understood what the lyrics were trying to say. Like Carrie makes her feel like she's in high school again. <laughs> oh, is that why Molly wrote it? that does bother me that it's totally not a molly phillips song she would never write this it sounds like it was written by a 12 year old with a crush on some guy in their music class or something well terry Frewer is new to this season as well and he wrote a lot of the season three songs they're all kind of vapid yeah i definitely agree with melissa though that it sounds like a song that annie would have wrote and it would make sense for annie to write it because she would be daydreaming about jack obviously <laughs> Like, who would Molly even be singing about? It can't be Rick, because what Steve other Anderson. chances there would be you and me? There is no more of them anymore. It can't be Steve Anderson, because Molly clearly doesn't care about him. It can't be Tad Raxel, because he doesn't exist in this season. 
So that just leaves Carrie. It's the merman. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> it, it sounds so happy. And I just don't know if Molly's at that point yet where she could write something that's so blissful and, you know, cheery. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That said, I loved this song so much when I was a kid. Like, I'm ashamed to say this, but when this episode premiered, I preferred this song over any Molly Phillips song. Oh, wow. Really? Probably because it it actually stands out to kids. It's kind of like how uh, teenagers or younger kids would prefer, like, teeny bop songs than uh, the songs their parents listen to. Agreed. And the Molly Phillips songs uh, would be closer to what the parents listen to than what the kids listen to. I feel like the song very much was aimed at a younger audience and was part of the lightning of season three. Yeah. I like it because it was the very first time that I ever heard Alex Johnson sing. And I have been a fan of hers for 17 years now. And I like have every song that... I ever have, you know, like, I love her music so much, and I have all of her songs, and um, this was yeah. the very first time we heard her sing, and she was amazing. Yeah. She does have a really nice voice, I must say. We got okay. to see that band member from Molly Phillips' band. What's his name? Chuck. Chuck. D- Dude bro. Yes, Dude he's bro. back, and he's happy to be there. <laughs> got a nice smile. Yeah. Alex's voice. I was just saying she's even gotten better uh, through the years mm-hmm. uh, with all her recent uh, work. It would be interesting to see Annie all grown up. Yeah. Also, I feel like we cannot talk about the song One in a Million World without talking about the facial expressions that everyone is making <laughs> during the scene. Because <laughs> it is hilarious to just freeze frame during this montage and see their faces. Because everybody yeah. is making the most ridiculous looks possible. <laughs> well, I never yeah. noticed that until on Tumblr. I think one of you guys have a so weird Tumblr that points out uh, random things. And one of the things was all the random faces in the song. And uh, yeah, that's the first time I realized it. Hmm. Yeah, that was me. <laughs> <laughs> Which, like, you want Carrie even sticking his finger into a freaking candle. <laughs> What are you doing? <laughs> and the look on Jack's face. And the one that Annie makes at the end of the song, like it looks like they're flirting, but they're doing it so badly. They definitely look like they're flirting. But I thought his line when he's like, Yeah, Annie, come join us. I just thought it was like the weirdest line, like Yeah. It was so awkward. Yeah. The whole scene is awkward. It it is. It feels forced and I don't know. The song feels forced. It doesn't really gel with this episode, in my opinion, or yeah. the show. But that's just me. Yeah. yeah, it has not aged well at all. I loved it so much as an eight-year-old, but I can't listen to it and enjoy it now for anything other than nostalgia. I still listen to it because I listen to like Alex's songs like shuffled (laughs) so it comes on sometimes and I'm still like singing it like it's the year 2000. Yeah Yeah, like I can listen to all the Molly Phillips songs from seasons one and two and rock out to them and cry to them 
And I feel like they've all aged super well. Where like I'm still dying to get a Molly Phillips CD. Mm-hmm. But listening to those songs like One in a Million Worlds, it's like I'm not eight years on eight, eight years old anymore and there's nothing in here that I can relate to or enjoy anymore. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things about this song is that it's so short that I don't know, to me it almost sounds like a jingle. It's that short. So I can't really treat it as a song. <laughs> it yeah. doesn't sound complete. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And with McKen or Molly being like, there's something missing from the song. Like clearly the song is supposed to be like three or four minutes long, right? Like, but I guess we just got this little clip of it and this is all that ever existed. Yeah. I wish that we would get like official releases of the music because I do like Molly Phillips songs from the third season. Like you know, other songs she does, Thinking About Tomorrow and Different Story. Those are really beautiful songs. Yeah, actually, I have a different story tattooed on me, so... Yeah, you do have that tattoo. <laughs> Any other thoughts you all might have about this episode? We didn't see Ned or Irene at all this episode. They're not in a lot this season, and that makes me sad. Yeah. I guess they didn't go to Hope Springs High School. <laughs> they do use Molly's maiden name in this one. McQuinn, is it that her actual maiden name is established by John Cooksey? Yeah. Something they kept from the first two seasons. Yeah, the most we knew was O'Shannon from her family name, right? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, I think that was Grandma Kathleen's maiden name. I guess the other thing I would mention is Jay Brizot played uh, Mr. Cox in this episode, and if you all listen to our original season three episode where we talk about the plans for the original season three, we realized that Jay Brazeau had actually been considered for the part of the unhappy man. It sounds like they created the episode with him in mind. Um, huh. Yeah. And the, the unhappy man episode was the one where some creepy dude walks around and whispers things in people's ears. <laughs> so I guess they still did cast him as the creepy dude. Yeah. So he definitely plays the part well. <laughs> I could totally see him running around whispering things in people's ears. <laughs> yeah. Alright, so are we ready to go into final ratings? Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm gonna give it a... I guess another 6 out of 10. Like, it was a good episode because we really got to see a lot of Jack's frustration. And Molly, or I'm sorry, Annie's rudeness. And um, it's the first, the first episode where Annie sings. And that is just like a highlight in my entire life. So I definitely give it um, above a five, a six. Because they messed up twice. Melissa, what about you? I think I would give it seven out of ten. Similar reasons as um, the last episode. It's just, it doesn't really stand out to me that much but it does have a few uh, good points so i guess i would give this one another thumbs up and thumbs down just because i do kind of like it i like the scenes of jack and annie in detention i think the shot of uh like the chalkboards popping up all over the room is kind of an iconic one, I feel like. Like, I just remember it pretty well. And that whole yeah. sequence is really fun to watch. But the actual overall plot is a little 
too contrived and strange to me. So, yeah, mm-hmm. that's why it's getting a thumbs down. I would give it a 7.5. And I really want to give it a higher rating because it's my favorite episode of season three. And I love it for the nostalgic kid horror of detention and the Janny shipping and Mary Crack shipping. But I can't give it any higher because the tension between Jack and Annie earlier in the episode seems so forced. Molly has this new love interest, Steve Anderson guy, that nobody is into, including her. And Molly and Jack just seem out of character at a couple different points in this episode. So I just can't push it up any higher. I still enjoy this episode for what it's worth, though. Okay. Is that all we have to say about this one? I wanted to um, mention that I thought it was really gross that when Miss Mitchell says they have to pick the gum off the bottom of the desk, they automatically start touching the gum with their bare hands. <laughs> yeah. I just thought of that, but I thought it was gross. And yeah. Carrie, one of Carrie's um, scenes is he's eating those hot dogs. I'm like, there's Carrie eating again. <laughs> yeah, and how he asks Molly, you know what I like about hot dogs? And and she's like, you can hold uh, one in each hand. And he's like, exactly. That was funny. Kind of sexual. Kind of weird. Are we ready to go to the feedback corner? I guess so. Well, guys, it's feedback time, and we don't have too much this week because we just released the latest episode a couple days ago. But we do have a couple comments. First, we have a comment from Emily on YouTube on our interview with uh, Dave Squatch Ward, who played Ned. I think it's from that episode. And she said... OMG, I'm so obsessed. Thank you for this. So, oh, I'm glad we got feedback on that episode. Because that was something different. Yeah, that was a really fun episode. And uh, you're very welcome. Thank you for listening. Uh, oh, Cad, you commented. So you may want to read this one. <laughs> okay. So I commented on the Lightning Rod episode on YouTube and said that I just rewatched Snapshot and Fee's excuse of leaving to save Molly from dealing with weird stuff is all the more infuriating with the realization that Molly literally lost her soul in season three and Annie didn't even save her. Would have been safer with Fee who would undoubtedly make sure her mom and everyone else had her soul back for like Ned drive them away. Shake my head. (laughs) I have the comments. Thanks for sharing, Kat. (laughs) (laughs) No problem. Uh, We appreciate your feedback. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't remember that episode very well at this point, so I think it's one of my favorites, or at least it was. I remember it was directed by uh, Melissa Joan Hart, I think. Yeah. Her sister was in it. Yeah. Yeah. There was a promo for it. Yeah, and it played constantly. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, awesome. Thanks, Kat. Uh, and then the only other comment we have is on our latest episode from Talking Board. Princess Fernandez commented on Facebook. I think that was the episode that made me want a Ouija board, especially because my neighborhood Albertsons used to sell some in the toy aisle back in the day. LOL. Never followed through, thank goodness. So. <laughs> I do think that a lot of people probably wanted Ouija boards after watching that one. Yeah, I didn't get to share this story because I wasn't on the last podcast. But I just want to share now that when I was 11, I went over a friend's house. And we were down in our basement. And she took out this Ouija board and we were debating, should we play with it? Should we not? 
And as we're talking about it, we started hearing this eerie singing coming from the corner of her basement. So we noped out of there and ran upstairs. And we found out later that it was her older sister listening to like Britney Spears or something and singing. But we told everybody <laughs> at school that we totally heard a ghost through the Ouija board. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, that was great. Funny. You know, I think my cousins had a Ouija board, but I was always too chicken to try it. Yeah. I don't know where it is now, if they even still have it. Yeah. I mentioned in the last podcast, my sister had um, the Ouija board for Christmas, and I ended up keeping it because my mom wouldn't let her bring it home. And I lived with my grandma at the time. I remember playing it with uh, my cousin, who was a little bit younger than me. And uh, I was <laughs> uh, moving it around to say things that would scare him. And he was so scared, he actually ran out of the room screaming. And so that was funny. But I know that was completely me fucking with him. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and before we close out our little feedback corner, shout out to Astrid, the troll that has been downloading all of our episodes. Yeah, you know, thanks, Astrid, bitch. because it's a troll. <laughs> thanks, bitch. <laughs> I find it super flattering, to be honest. You know, getting a thumbs down means that you finally made it. Like, someone cares enough about what you're saying to give you a thumbs down. <laughs> it means a lot. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, and thank you to everybody who keeps watching and commenting and sharing the So Weird podcast. Yeah. It really means a lot to us. So. Yeah. Mm -mm. All right. Is there anything else to talk about? Any new reboots coming out or Disney-related news? I noticed that they're making a Disney made-for-TV movie, but it's Freaky Friday. They're actually remaking that again. I'm like, wasn't Lindsay Lohan and Jamie Lee Curtis's version, like, didn't that suffice? But they're going to make another Disney Channel original movie, Freaky Friday. Yeah, and also just one thing I want to bring up is that I had tweeted at John Cooksey and Mackenzie Phillips this idea for teaming up as a songwriter-singer team for So Weird Songs, and John Cooksey replied with the idea that they could go back to Disney for to try to get permission to do a live performance. And he has encouraged us to email the head of Disney, Gary Marsh, because he was still there when they were doing so weird. So I've emailed him. I haven't gotten anything back yet. But hey, if you love so weird and you love Somali Phillips music, maybe you can try and maybe we can get something going. It Whatever, whatever works or whatever. Yeah, I mean, that sounds like a good enough idea to me, definitely. Um, yeah. I think thank you so much for that. Yeah. Just make sure you all mention if you do send them emails. Uh, it might be a good idea to mention that the 20th anniversary is coming up next year. And uh, I think that's something we should all maybe keep in mind within the next few months. So maybe try and uh, brainstorm some ideas for how we can celebrate the 20th anniversary of the premiere of So Weird. Yeah, that's a good idea, Emily. Yeah, so if you all have any ideas, any of our listeners, for what we can do, uh, send them our way. We'd love to hear from you. All right, um, so this concludes this episode of the So Weird Podcast. Thank you for joining us. I'm Kat. I'm Emily. I'm Jimmy. And I'm Melissa. Keep the faith and never give up on So Weird. Bye.
destiny. 